Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalm, Psalms, Psalm 138. We're going to read together in just a moment, Psalm 138. So I'll tell you what I'm doing the next uh, several weeks. We'll start a series next Sunday on Christmas blessings, and we'll talk about the story of Christmas. And by the way, I just wanted to say how thankful I was for so many. We did an angel tree of Christmas presents for uh, children who needed some help, and man, they... we. We had so many names, and they just they were just gone like that last Sunday. And thank you to many who helped, and blankets for uh, the places we're taking blankets to, all those things. Man, I just I'm, I'm amazed at the generosity of our church. And these next few weeks will be great opportunities. I hope you'll invite some guests to come and hear the message of of Christmas, the, really the message of the gospel. And then in January, I'll come back to the book of Revelation. We're going through that book of the Bible together on Sunday mornings. Well, let's look at Psalm 138. I'm going to read it with you and you can follow along and then I've got a place there in the worship guide you can take some notes and follow as you talk about the thankful heart. So if you go to grandma's house for Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, uh, if that's the destination, then you, you'll get on a road, whatever it is, an interstate or a highway or some rural road, wherever it is, that's the road that leads to grandma's house. And you can't get to the destination without getting on the road. And if you want to get to peace and joy and contentment in life, you can't get there without traveling the road of thankfulness. You can't get there without the road of thankfulness. And some of you would love to have joy in your life. You'd love to have peace in your life. You'd love to have contentment in your life. But you'll never get there unless you take the road of thankfulness. And so I want to talk about thankfulness. The Bible talks about this frequently. It's beneficial to us. Let me read Psalm chapter 138. The Bible says, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased strength within me. All the kings kings on earth will give you thanks, Lord, when they hear what you have promised. They will sing of the Lord's ways, for the Lord's glory is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. You will extend your hand, your right hand will save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Well, let's note four principles about the thankful heart. You can just write these down on the back of your worship guide, follow along. Four principles about having a thankful heart. Number one, the thankful heart is a choice. And you need to get this one. It's a choice. It's not just based on circumstances. Have you ever noticed people who have terrible circumstances in life? Perhaps some of you have said, well, I'd be thankful if my circumstances were better, but your circumstances aren't so great. And you've thought, man, so I can't, I mean, I can't be thankful when I'm facing this or these problems. But have you known people in, in your life, and I bet you have, who have faced like terrible circumstances, difficult situations and yet they're thankful or you've known people who have great blessings and can I just tell you compared to the rest of the world the material blessings we have here are just like unbelievable in comparison and yet many unthankful so it's not just circumstances the bible says a thankful heart is a choice notice what the text says in verse one I I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Not I might, but I will. 
Not just I should, you know, I know I ought to be thankful, I will. It's a commitment, it's a choice. Not someday. Do you know how to stop procrastinating? Do you know how to do this? Stop procrastinating. That's how you do it. It's, it's really that simple. I mean, I know it's, I sort of said it, it's sort of profound coming from me, isn't it? No, it's just you say, I'm going to do, not just someday, perhaps you've said, I'm going to someday serve the Lord. I'm someday going to be more thankful. Someday I'm going to be, get my life in order spiritually. But there's no such thing as someday when it comes to those matters. It's always present tense. And so the Bible is reminding us that the psalmist is saying, I'm, I'm choosing to give thanks. I'm choosing to sing your praise. I'm choosing to bow down. Notice it's uh, not just that I will give thanks, but I will give thanks fully. He says in verse 1, I'll give you thanks with all my heart. Not just, like, not just um, my lips, but my heart. Not just on occasion, but it's a part of my being, my nature, my response. He says, I'll give you thanks with all my heart. I'll sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I just want to say a quick word about singing some of you like you know, some of you love to sing. You're great singers, but there are many of you who would say, "I don't really, I'm not maybe that talented at singing." And can I just encourage you to sing anyway? To sing, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, as the Bible says. And there's something about it. Maybe as you learn the songs we sing, and you would just sing to the Lord and give praise to Him. Notice how the psalmist says it here: "I'll sing your praise before the heavenly beings." And he's talking here about in the presence of the angels. I was watching um, just very recently, a couple days ago, I watched a little of, just a little of the old movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you know that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Super overacted, you know, real dramatic, that style. Of, but I just find myself, I just cry through that movie. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, the older I get, the more I just cry. And I just, that movie, I'll just cry and cry and cry. And, and really, in my defense, Zuzu's Pedals. I mean, that one just tears you up. Zuzu's Pedals were crying out loud. It just... So I was just crying through the movie. And, and then I was reminded in the movie about Clarence the Angel. That's the, I'm not, I won't give away. If you haven't seen it, you can watch it for yourself. You can cry on your own time, you know, if you wish to. Zuzu's petals will tear you up. I'm just telling you. Just gonna. So Clarence the Angel in this movie. And I know it's a movie. It's not a documentary. You know, it's fictional. But he was a guy who lived and then died, and now he's a second-class angel and wants to get his wings to become a whatever first-class angel or whatever. Well, that's, an, that's not the picture of angels in the Bible. So angels in the Bible are God's messengers, often warriors, powerful. And when we think about them praising God, who would know better about who God is than the angels as they praise God? omniscient, omnipotent. I mean, they know those things about God. But the passage says, I'll sing your praise before the heavenly beings. Can I just remind you of something? You have something to be thankful for that the angels cannot fully understand. Because while the angels can sing about the eternal nature of God, the power of God, the greatness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, they, don't under, they do not understand what, like we understand God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. I think they must have looked in amazement when God made this creation and then watched as we sinned against God, as sin entered the world, and the brokenness that followed. And I, I don't have to tell you about the brokenness of this world. It's all around us. We are all sinners. We are all broken. Sin has affected every part of our world. It's affected nature itself. Our world is broken. 
our culture is broken. We see that more, the evidence of that is more apparent all the time. It's broken. It's broken because sin is in our world. And yet the angels must have watched in amazement as God looked at this broken, fallen world and sent his son into this world for us. And as Jesus lived among us, God, Emmanuel means God with us. God who became a man and lived with us in this broken, fallen world. And then with utter amazement, they must have watched as Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins in our place, for our debt. And to see that that God, in his mercy, his grace, would forgive us, that if we would repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus, we can be saved from the power of sin. We can be forgiven, forgiven, fully forgiven. And while the angels know so much about who God is, that is something about what God has done that only we can praise him for. And we ought, we ought not miss that opportunity to praise the Lord for what he's done for us. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. He says, I will bow down toward your holy temple. In the New Testament, the temple of God today is in us, the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Your body is the temple of God in the sense that God resides in you. But in the Old Testament, the days of the psalmist, he was saying, I'm going to bow towards the temple because that represents the very place of God. That's where God is. That's his presence. I'm going to remember who God is and where he is, and I'll bow down toward your temple. And what a privilege we have to have God living in us in salvation, and we can know him personally, not just know about God, but to know him personally. God wants you to know him, not just to know about him, not just the shell of religion. God wants you, and he wants you to know him, and he wants to reside in you. And the psalmist says, and I'll give thanks to your name. He's saying thankfulness, the thankful heart is a choice. I'm reminded of that because sometimes I sort of feel like it's a, if circumstances are right, if situations are better, then I but God wants me to learn to have a thankful heart and to make it a part of my life. The, the other day I was um, working on, the, on this message and uh, on this part, thinking of thankful, the thankful heart as a choice, and I was waiting on my grandchildren to come over to visit because that's how pathetic uh, your life is as a grandparent. You're always you know, looking for the grandchildren to come, and the kids are kind of late with them, and so I'm waiting impatiently for my grandchildren to come while I'm working on this message. And Vicki, who does, who's doing all the cooking, of course, you know, I'm not helping her with that. And she's doing all the cooking for all these <laughs> kids who are going to come over and eat it and forget to say thank you. And, and she said, hey, would you just stir the batter? She was making some cupcakes. Would you stir the batter? And so, you know, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll do that. You know, I mean, poor me, you know, have to stir the cupcakes. And Vicki's doing all the cooking for everything else. And, and I started thinking about Thankfulness is a choice. And I was reminded that while, you know, I don't know that stirring batter is like the most exciting thing that happened in the world, but something to be thankful for because I, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. I know there's something on the other end of the stirring of the batter that eventually there'll be cupcakes with chocolate icing on them and all the joy that comes with that. I've eaten a few cupcakes in my life if you didn't know that. Well, man, I was reminded that, thank, that th a thankful heart's a choice. And some of you have been influenced by the world to such an extent that you've just thought, well, man, I don't, I don't have anything to be thankful for because my circumstances aren't so great. And God is reminding you, whatever you're going through, that 
you have so much to be thankful for. And yet it's, it's a choice that you make. And God is saying, the psalmist is saying, I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to do it. I'm, this is not just something I should do or I ought to do. This is something I am, I'm, I'm, do, I'm going to do. I'm going to give thanks with all my heart. I'm going to sing your praise before the heavenly beings because I have something they can't even praise you for. I'm going to bow down before your temple and give thanks to your name because it's a choice that I make. There's a second principle I'd like you to note. The thankful heart is a response. It's a response. So in verse 2, the Bible begins to talk to us about our response to what God has done. We thank God because of what he's done for us. We are responding to the work of God. I'll just mention seven things that we respond to, seven things God has done for us, gives to us that we respond to. Just seven things. Number one, God, we respond to God's constant love. Verse two says, I'm going to give thanks to your name for your constant love. That is, God loves us not, not if, I'll love you if, or I'll love you when. Maybe that's been the kind of love you've experienced in our world. I'll love you if you act these ways, when you do these things for me. But God just loves in fact, we love, if, we, if you love God, it's only in response to his love for you. We, we can only love God because he first loved us. We can love other people because God loves us. Love is, for us, our response to God's love. We love God because he loved us first. We can love other people, broken though they are, because God loved us, broken though we were, God, and still are. Still, we still live in this earthly tent, and we still have the brokenness that follows, even in salvation, though we're fully forgiven. But we love others because God loved us. We respond to his constant love, to his truth, to God's truth. The Bible says, I give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. God always tells us the truth. We live in a culture that says there are absolutely no absolutes. And that there's no such thing as truth. And there's no right and wrong. Which sounds good until someone steals your wallet, right? And then all of a sudden you say, wait, there is, that, that's wrong. I mean, you don't, stealing my wallet, that's wrong. Because there's, you know, inherently there's this thing called truth. And God tells us the truth. I, our culture is saying, there's no such thing as truth, whatever you want truth to be. And God says there is a solid foundation of truth. And truth is true whether you feel like it is or not, whether you want it to be or not, whether our culture says it is or not whether you like it or not. And God loves you so much, he tells you the truth. He tells you right from wrong, good from bad. You might want to fight against it. Our culture wants to ignore it or redefine it, but God tells us the truth because he's a truth-telling God. And we respond to that truth. We respond to understanding that God cares about us. He loves us. His love is constant. He, he gives us the truth. Thirdly, we respond to God's power. The Bible says you've exalted your name and your promise above everything else. So God's name says something about his character. That is, God always does what he says. He gives us his word, and his word means something. Some of you have that in your life or family or your history where your name meant something, your word meant something. God's name means something. When God says something, when he promises, he'll keep it. Fourthly, we respond to God's answers. Verse 3 says, on the day I called you, you answered me. You answered me. And God gives us answers. The answers to the questions of our culture and our generation and our day and our problems and our issues, God answers. It's one of the reasons why I encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. 
and find out what God has to say and learn what the truth is. Read the New Testament for yourself. You, some of you have heard me say this. I've been trying to encourage you to read the Bible on your own, to have a devotional time on your own. If you would read two chapters of the New Testament, just two chapters, every day, five days a week, just five days a week, two chapters every day, five days a week, you'd read the entire New Testament in half a year. And I want you to know the New Testament. You can read it many times. You can read the whole Bible for yourself. God gives us answers. So how do we deal with a broken culture? What, what should our response be? How do we deal with people who are, uh, who are difficult? How do we love people who are hard to love? How should we respond in a broken world? What should we do? What should our life be about? What should be the greater purpose of our life? God gives us all of these answers and more in his word. He wants us to know. And so we can seek the Lord and his answers. And then we respond to God's strength. He says in verse 3, On the day I called you, you answered me, and you increased strength within me. So God doesn't just say, hey, listen, get stronger. He says, I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to increase strength within you. You, you don't just live the Christian life in your own power, but it's God's power in us. When you trust Christ the Savior, God the Holy Spirit lives in you, and it's his strength that will give you victory in life. If you're struggling with some issue, God is big enough to deal with that issue. If you're struggling to overcome some tendencies, some sins, something in your past, some, some problem, God is big enough to help you, and he'll, he wants to help you from within. And then we respond to God's promises. Verse 4 says, All the kings on earth will give you thanks, Lord, when they hear what you've promised. The world can see that there's a promise-keeping God. One of our jobs is to tell people about the promises of God. The Christmas story is really a story about the promises of God and how God keeps his word and how God works through the promises of this age, and it affects the whole world, every generation, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. And then we respond to God's glory. In verse 5, the Bible says, They will sing of the Lord's ways, for the Lord's glory is great. And we respond to the greatness of God. That's what a thankful heart does. God is a great God. He's a powerful God. He's a loving God. He's a truth-telling God. We respond to what God has already done. We are thankful for what God has already given to us. It's a response. Um, we sometimes call the World War II generation the greatest generation. And we do that partly because they responded as they did to adversity. I talked to an older lady in our church this week and She's old enough to remember this, and so I asked her what she remembered about December the 7th of 1941, which was the day uh, that Pearl Harbor was attacked, and then the United States entered what we now call World War II. And anyone who was uh, old enough that, during that time remembers the details of that. And this uh, woman said it was a Sunday that this happened, December the 7th. It was a Sunday, and they'd gone to church, and they were back home, and they sent her over to a neighbor's house to get like a cup of flour or something. And the father at the, at the neighbor's house had the radio on, and he said to her, does your dad know, has he heard about what's happening in Hawaii? And she said, I don't know. And he told her, about, this, about the attack and about the war that had come to our homeland. And man, it just changed things. 
And we call it the eight, eight decades ago, more than eight decades ago. And we call that generation the great generation, the greatest generation, because they responded to adversity as they did. There's something about how you respond. You, we wonder how we would respond, how this generation would respond. There's something about responding that tells you a little bit about what's within you. And if you want the destination of peace and joy and contentment, you've got to travel the road of thankfulness. And if you're not, listen, if there's not a thankful spirit within you, you you've not yet understood what God has done for you. Perhaps you've not realized the, the greatness, the bigness, the glory, the majesty of God. You've not realized how important grace is, mercy is, forgiveness is, salvation is. There's a third thing I want you to know. The thankful heart is an attitude. It's an attitude. Go with me, please, to verse 6. The Bible says, though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. So note that the Bible is saying here, God is sovereign, and yet he cares for us. Though the Lord is exalted... That is, God could speak the world into existence. God is big enough to make this planet and all the planets that we know, the, star, the sun and all the suns that we can see, all the stars in the sky. The, the Lord is exalted. He takes note of the humble. This, the psalmist said it in another place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you care about us? But let me tell you something. The God who made this universe cares about you. You matter to him. Maybe you don't feel significant in this world. But you matter to God. You matter to Him. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your abilities and your talents. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you could be. He knows who you are. God knows you, and you matter to Him. You matter to Him. And maybe you don't feel significant in the eyes of the world, but God cares about you. The God, the God who made the universe cares about you. And you, you are so important to Him. Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. Notice this, this truth that humility is critical to thankfulness. And notice that pride, or what the Bible calls here haughtiness, kills thankfulness. Humility is critical to thankfulness. Pride kills thankfulness. So humility says this. It says, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve the blessings that God provides for me every single day. Haughtiness, a pride says... I'm entitled. I'm entitled to this. You owe me, world. I deserve. So let me ask you a question. What does God owe you? What does God owe you? And theologically speaking, the Bible says the wages of sin, you, you, if you work at a job, you, they owe you a salary, right? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is, do you know how that verse ends? The wages of sin is it's death. Now, I'm thankful for God's mercy and grace, but if I could just take that away for a second and just say, what does God owe me? Well, I'm a sinner, and my sin is separating me from God, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Boy, pride doesn't look as good right now. Or, what do I deserve? So what do we deserve from God? Can I just say, if you took away grace and mercy, if you just got to just sheer judgment, justice, and holiness, what do we deserve? Here's what the Bible says. I deserve to be separated from God 
in hell. I don't say that lightly. I say that theologically. That's what the Bible teaches. And yet God loves us and offers his grace and mercy. And it's not because he owes us. And it's not because we deserve it. But because God is a loving, giving God who chooses to offer us forgiveness instead of death and heaven instead of hell. But that entitlement attitude, which is, by the way, such a part of our society. You owe me. The world owes me. I deserve. I'm. So my dad would tell me this story often. My dad was from the World War II generation, and I'm at the end of the baby boomer generation, so he wanted, to, he wanted us to hear his sons to hear this story. And um, around Christmas time, he would tell us, because our dad would do, our parents would do what perhaps your parents do. They'd try to provide all they can for us at Christmas and beyond. And so there was a tendency to sort of feel like we were owed something, like our parents you know, owed us something. We deserved something. And I don't think my dad liked that attitude too, uh, too much. And he, he would tell us stories like this on occasion. So my dad, who lived on a farm maybe 45 miles from here, just south of Greenville, just there's no town there now. Um, his, they were very poor in his family. He's the seventh of the eight kids. And uh, my grandfather was poor anyway. And my grandfather, some of you know the story, my grandfather, before he trusted Christ as Savior, my grandfather was a drunkard. And he would spend what little money they had in those days. When he'd get money, sometimes he'd go into town, go to a tavern, spend all the money they have, come back, terrorize the family. It was a hard life. And so before he came to know Christ as Savior, it just made life already a hard, difficult life in many ways, really hard. So they didn't have much financial wealth. And so for Christmas, my dad would not get very much. And one year, every once in a while, he'd tell the story. I always found it so surprising because of the things that, the abundance that I had in comparison, the abundance that our generation has. And one year he got, uh, he was a little boy, maybe seven or eight, something like that. He got for Christmas, his gift was a comb. A comb. And I, I remember my dad talking about how he, I mean, he knew he was not going to get very much for Christmas and he was thankful that he could get a comb. And I thought, man, I wouldn't be, like, I'm, that's not something I'd be very thankful for, right? A comb? I mean, I don't even really need it much now anymore. So, I mean, why? But that, there was a time when, as a kid, I might have needed it more, but what a difference in attitude. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself unthankful because you sort of feel like God owes you something, you know? Like the blessings you have are because of something you've done. When in reality, God has blessed us and we don't deserve it. No wonder we don't appreciate salvation. Somehow we've thought it's, it's like a right. When in reality, it's because of the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And if you ever get that, that God has given you his love freely, you will appreciate so much more deeply what God has done for you. The thankful heart is an attitude. There's a fourth principle I want you to know. The thankful heart is a realization. It's a realization. So in verse 7, the Bible says, if I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. He's saying my life is in God's hands. It's in God's hands, ultimately. My life is his. He's the one who protects me. And then he says, you will extend your right hand, extend your hand, and your right hand will save me. He's saying God is greater than my problems. 
Did you, did you know God's greater than your problems? Maybe you came here with some medical issues. Maybe you have some financial struggles. Maybe you have some relationship problems. And perhaps they are too big for you. But God can handle your problems. God is greater than your needs and your difficulties, than your struggles, than your circumstances. God is greater. You can trust God with your life. You can trust God with your death. You can trust God with your future. You can trust God with your legacy. You can trust God with your present, with your now. God is greater than your problems. And then I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 8. When I was reading through just some of my personal devotions along the way, I underlined this first sentence in verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. I love that. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. It's saying this. God is working around me and for me and through me and in me and sometimes despite me. Did you know God is working around you, all around you. God is at work. If you'll open your eyes to what God is doing, you'll see God is working around you. God is working for you. He has your best interest at heart. God is working for you. God is working through you. He's able to accomplish his purposes through people like us. God can work through us. He can use our talents, our abilities, our meager resources. God works through us. And God works in us. That is, God doesn't just work out there somewhere. God is working in us. God wants to change how we think, how we live. God works in us. And sometimes God works despite us. We just stand in the way, and yet God continues to accomplish his purposes because God made us for a purpose, and he will fulfill his purpose for me because his love, his faithful love endures forever. He's not going to abandon the work of his hands. Probably for the last decades of his life, the most famous man of his age was a guy named Ulysses S. Grant. And Grant was, maybe you know the story, he was a two-time president of the United States. He was a, before that, he was the commanding general of the Northern Armies. Um, when he wrote his memoirs at the end of his life, that, his memoirs sold more books than any other book outside of the Bible for the next generation. The most famous man of, of his age. And yet, before the onset of the Civil War, nobody would have guessed that. No one would have seen it in Grant. He grew up sort of a nondescript life. His dad, uh, however, enrolled him in the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. There's no Air Force then. And he enrolled him in, the, in West Point, un, unbeknownst to Grant. He didn't even ask for permission from his son. He just found a congressman who would appoint him, and he got appointed to... And off he went. And he served an undistinguished military career. Got, um, got out under some less than happy circumstances. He was far away from his wife in California and just circumstances were tough. Anyway, he got out of the army and came back to his wife who's from the St. Louis area. He, had a series of jobs in, all of them failures. All you have to know about how difficult his life here was in the St. Louis area was that his cabin was named Hardscrabble. If you name your cabin Hardscrabble, that's suggesting life was less than enjoyable sometimes, Hardscrabble. He would sell firewood on the streets of St. Louis just to kind of make ends meet. He sold his only pocket watch to buy Christmas presents for his family. Everything he did, 
I'd been mediocre or nondescript or even ended in failure. And then a civil war broke out. And he was, by giftedness, by talent, by training, by ability, by inclination, the right man for the right job at the right time in the right place. And he would lead some of the earliest victories for the Union Army and his temperament suited itself well for what was needed in that generation and he would go on to become president of the United States for two terms and largest selling memoirs largest selling book outside of the Bible and the next generation after his death even he had a purpose and maybe you think man my life never amount to anything and God begs to differ because God sees in you what no one else sees he sees, he sees all you could be I'm not saying, you, you might not be famous. Listen, some of God's greatest servants are people that no one really knows very well. And sometimes they're more behind the scenes. And sometimes they're working in a way that others hardly ever notice and rarely say thank you. But I'm telling you, God in heaven can work in you. He made your life for a purpose. He made your life for a purpose. And God is going to fulfill his purposes for you. And he will work in you or th- and through you and with you and for you, or even around you, or even despite you if necessary. But God's working, and he'll accomplish his purposes. And the thankful heart is the heart that realizes God made me for a purpose, and he is able, he's big enough to work in me. I can become what he wants me to become and do what he wants me to do. God has a purpose for my life. He has a plan for my future. God wants to make a difference in this world, in my world, through me. And if I'll follow him, if I'll realize that the blessings he has given me are so that I'll be a blessing, not just so I'll have more blessings, but so that I'll be a blessing, God will use me to make a difference in this world. God will use you. God made you for a reason. And he will fulfill his purpose for you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I just want to ask you to, in a moment, we're going to pray and just ask, ask God to give us a thankful heart. Maybe as I spoke about some of these issues, God just dealt with your heart about an issue. Maybe you don't know yet Christ as Savior. You're not sure you've ever given your life to Christ. The Bible says we'll never get to heaven by self-improvement. We don't go to heaven because we've been religious or even good, because we're all sinners who are separated from God. But God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Christ lived the life we couldn't live, the perfect life. And Christ died the death we deserved on that cross. Christ provided the miracle we needed in the resurrection. And the Bible says if you will repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ, he will save you. And maybe God brought you to this place this day because he wanted you to hear that message of truth from his word. That you need a savior, but he is a savior who can save you. And maybe some of you here know Christ as savior, but God's speaking to you about the thankful heart being a choice. Or maybe overcoming an entitlement attitude as though somehow we deserve God's blessings. Or maybe just to begin to be thankful for what God has already done, what he's already done and what he's doing. To believe that God is able to accomplish his purposes through someone like us, despite of all, all of our failures and brokenness and background, God is able to do his work through us. I wonder if today you would say, God, I want a thankful heart. I want a thankful heart. I want to recognize what you have done and who you are. And I, I don't want to live just as though somehow 
my life is just about me and as though I deserve all the blessings that you give. But God, I want a thankful heart so that the blessings you've given to me are a means by which I bless others. And Father, I want to thank you for your word that teaches us the truth. I want to thank you for this reminder that you want us to have the attitude that you show us in your word and that thankfulness can be a part of our everyday life. Father, we want in our lives joy and peace and contentment, but you tell us that the path to that, the road to travel, to to reach those things is the thankful road. And so today we want to say thank you for the things that you bring to our mind, for things that we've never a single time thanked you for, for things that we take for granted, for what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.